Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. All right, so thank you very much uh, for the encouraging words uh, to, uh, I've had uh, over the session here. So last Sunday, uh, or last Saturday, no, Sunday, wasn't it? That's right. Uh, I encourage you to read uh, Philippians in a couple of translations. How many have been able to do that? I've got 30 translations if you want a lot of them anyway. So it's good uh, just to uh, look at different translations. I'm using Old King James and uh, New King James particularly. Um, and then last week we looked at particularly at the founding of the church at Philippi in Acts chapter 16 and the converts that were there, Lydia, and then the woman that was uh, delivered from a python spirit and the jailer and his household and uh, then the epistles and uh, then in our second session we looked at guarding the mind and uh, how, how sin entered the mind and uh, because of unguarded gates, the ear gate and the eye gate and how we have to uh, just guard that. All right, now I want to sort of extend it a little bit more th- tonight and uh, I don't know how the word affects you but uh, uh, more I've read this over the years uh, though Paul is not writing to the church uh, to correct any uh, uh, doctrinal theology as in Corinthians and so forth, uh, Galatians and the other epistles. Uh, but this uh, passage we're going to look at tonight has really moved me uh, and has moved me to tears because as, uh, as we'll see together. So uh, uh, what we're talking to, uh, to, uh, about tonight is uh, on the top of your sheet there. And if you didn't get the sheets from last week, we have uh, uh, several copies here from uh, our sessions last week. All right, so uh, what we're talking about tonight is the humility and the exaltation of Christ. So uh, very theological, and tonight we're sort of going to have two sessions on theology, my, probably my favourite subject, but it just happened uh, to be in Paul's epistle. So the humility and exaltation of Christ. All right, let's go uh, first of all to the scripture reading. And I'd like you to open your Bibles and let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to read from uh, New King James, just alters uh, uh, one or two words here that uh, is a little bit... Uh, a little bit better than old King James. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, what did I say? Uh, Philippians, anyway. Philippians chapter 2, and we'll read verses 1 through to 11. And as I often say, I make no apology for reading the word. It's not just my words or comment on the word, but it's the word that is... uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So though the Apostle Paul and these men who wrote the Scriptures were not infallible, God did bring infallible revelation out of them. How many believe that? All right, so let's go go to Philippians chapter 2, and we'll we'll begin with verse 1, and uh, we'll get uh, get to it in due time. Therefore, if there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, which is opposite to uh, you know, ambition and, 
and selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, uh, let uh, each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And then verse 5, the next use of the word mind, let this mind... And I like the uh, ampli- uh, the NIV on this one. He says, let this attitude be in you. Let this mind or this attitude, uh, which was also in Christ Jesus, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, <clears throat> did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, uh, taking uh, the form of a servant, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, form of a bond servant and coming into, uh, coming in the likeness of man and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, uh, God also has highly exalted him and given him, uh, if you've got old King James, now old King James says given him a name, but uh, New J- uh, King James uh, clarifies this a little bit, given him the name, uh, which is above every name. We'll come to that in due time. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of uh, those in heaven, of those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everybody said amen to the word of God. All right, let's uh, just go straight to our notes a little bit here. We've got enough to cover in our time. So uh, scripture reading, Philippians chapter 2, 1 to 11, we just read. The key verse in the Philipp- is, Philipp- uh, is in Philippians uh, 2 uh, verse 5. Let this mind or this attitude, NIV says, be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. As uh, seen in lesson 3, uh, our last session, the word mind and related words are used some 12 times in this epistle of Paul. So we have KJV, mind seven times, minds uh, one time, like-minded two times, minded two times. And so it has to do with thoughts and reason and disposition or attitude. So when we think of the mind, we're thinking of our thoughts, our reason, our disposition, or our attitude. And, and Paul is saying, this is this key verse in this uh, section here, let this mind or this attitude be in you which was uh, in Christ Jesus. All right, uh, under letter A, introductory, this is one, the one and only theological passage in the epistle to the uh, Philippians. It is set out in brief form not to correct any false or imbalanced doctrine in the church and not even as a, uh, some writers say it was a theological hymn, uh, but uh, a lot say no, and not even any theological hymn. The whole purpose of this passage, just pardon my voice tonight, I haven't been yelling at my wife, anything like that been yelling at the TV (laughs) turn the idiot box off especially on the adverts okay back to my notes so the whole purpose of this passage is to challenge the hearts and minds of the believers in Philippi to unity and humility exemplified in the Lord Jesus Christ or in this uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ in this great passage note uh, if you mark your Bible 
I've circled the four ifs in this passage, each having to do with the mind. So notice number one, and if you mark your Bible, I suggest uh, 10 suggestions, not the 10 commandments. Circle the four ifs in verse one. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, as I've got, there is an uh, consolation, encouragement in him. Number two, if there, if any com- comfort of love, so, and there is love and comfort in him. And then number three, if any fellowship of the Spirit, uh, two or three times the Spirit is mentioned, if there be any fellowship of the Spirit and there is participation uh, in the Spirit. And then the last if is, uh, if any f- affection and mercy. And so we've got that there. If there be any bowels and mercies, and there is in him uh, depth of affection, compassionate uh, sympathy, amplified puts it. So consolation, comfort, fellowship, and mercy are all to be found in Christ by the Spirit. And then uh, I drew this to your attention last week. Note also, note also the use of the word mind. In these verses used some four times also. So chapter 2 verse 2, be like-minded. And then chapter 2 verse 2, the latter part, be of one mind. And then uh, crux of it all, you know, is lowliness of mind. Uh, humility of mind, uh, the mind that was in Christ Jesus. So there's no room for intellectual pride and ego-centered mindset, but humility of mind. And uh, old King James uh, brings it down, Acts chapter 20, verse 19, that Paul, you know, if anybody could have been on an ego trip, you know, he had so much revelation that was given to him, yet he said, I serve the Lord and I serve the church there at, 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 at uh, Ephesus uh, with humility of mind. And uh, that's why I often say, because uh, when I w- was on one of my ego trips, I thought, I'm just going to get to know all the Bible there is and exhaust the Bible and know it all. But over the years, the more I know, the less I know. And... Uh, there's, there's, I don't feel any intellectual pride saying, Lord, your word is so inexhaustible as uh, we'll see tonight. So like-minded, one mind, loneliness of mind or humility of mind. So no room for intellectual pride or ego-centered uh, mindset, hum, uh, but humility of mind. How many can say amen on that? So that's what our whole lesson is about tonight. Okay, now under letter B, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, in this section, Paul briefly deals... Uh, yeah, it should have deals there. My typewriter's not converted. In this section, Paul uh, deals briefly with the steps in the humiliation of Christ unto his exaltation. After exhorting the believers to lowliness of mind, Paul gives the perfect and supreme example of each in the person of Jesus Christ. So for the purpose of this session, and you all should have got the diagram on this, and uh, we can uh, we put it on the PowerPoint as well, but you've already got it. Everybody got that? Okay, so uh, let me read that statement there. For the purpose of this session, we notice the seven steps of Christ from the throne of God to the cross. So on the diagram, you'll see the seven steps from the throne to the cross. And then when we get to the exaltation part, uh, the seven steps 
from the cross to the throne. And uh, as I said to you, you know, I said, when the more I read this passage, I say, Lord, help me to have this mind and not get conceited or puffed up in my mind because I know a couple of things in the Bible. But uh, so we note the seven steps from the throne of God to the cross in his humiliation and back to the throne uh, from the cross in his exalt, uh, exaltation. Okay, so now let's go over and uh, what I, I've done, and if you can come up with something better than this, I'm happy for that. But I broke this up into seven steps in his humiliation and seven steps in his exaltation. Okay, so number one I've got here on the page, to, uh, page eight, it is really, uh, in his humiliation. The first thing we note is his deity. And it starts off such a profound passage. Uh, so Paul says in verse 5, which is the key verse, let this mind or this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And number one, who being in the form of God. Now, uh, anticipating here, go, to, uh, go down a little bit here. Uh, it says, um, who being in the form of God. So the word form and then we go down a little bit uh, here, uh, the word form, being in the form of God. Uh, yes, but uh, taking the form of a bondman. So can, can, can we, you know, I, I can't uh, grasp all, all what Paul is saying here, but just, you know, unless you've got a, the real mind of God. But Jesus is in the throne. He's, uh, he's in the form of God, but his humiliation is when he takes upon himself the form of a servant. So from being in the form of God and worshipped as God, he takes on himself the form of a servant. That was humility. Humility personified. So what I want to do tonight, if you've got any of it, but just knock the pride out of us all, you know. Any egotistical, intellectual pride, just knock it out of us as we consider the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I put some scriptures there. And so Genesis chapter 1, I won't quote, quote them all to you, but Genesis chapter 1 and verses 1 to 3 open with, in the beginning, God. And uh, by the way, the word God there is uh, the Hebrew word Elohim. And uh, the word Elohim is actually a uniplural word. And so in the beginning, God, it's actually a uniplural word, as I said, a Hebrew word. Uh, it's not Al, E-Al, which is singular for God, but it's Elohim, which is plurality of divine persons without stating how many. So in the beginning, Elohim, God. Or if we want to say gods, we can. Then we go to John chapter 1, and I've put the scriptures there, and uh, I'd like to encourage you to really read them between now and the coming of the Lord. But uh, John's gospel opens up very much like Genesis, uh, Genesis, in the beginning was the Word. So in the beginning, God, Elohim, and now John's gospel opens very much like Genesis, in the beginning was the Word. And then we have all these uh, tremendous points. I, I can't spend too much time on, on them. But in the beginning was the Word. So God and His Word. 
So I think we saw this last, uh, last uh, Sunday night. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep, and God said... So first utterance of the word was to bring light out of darkness, let, let there be light and there was light and so forth. So uh, in the beginning God, in the beginning was the word. And then it goes through these tremendous statements, as I said, we don't have time to, to develop. But in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, that's plurality of being. The word was God. That's uh, co-equality of being, and the Word was made flesh. That's humility of being. So we have those profound statements, uh, you know, so, so much for our mind to grasp. And then uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9, it says about uh, God, God created all things by Jesus Christ. So he was in the creation, so in the beginning God, and in the... Uh, in the beginning was the Word, so who being in the form of God. Now, I can't comprehend that, you can't comprehend it, that in the beginning, way back, not from the beginning, any time it refers to the devil, it always says the devil sinned from the beginning. But when it comes to God and the Word, it's always in the beginning, uncreated, always been there. So in the beginning, who being in the form of God, so is eternal Godhead. First uh, Timothy chapter three verse sixteen says, "A great is the mystery of godliness." So it is. It is. It's, it's, it's too great for me. All right, number two. Then it says, uh, and his, equal, uh, he, his co-equality, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, if Jesus was only a man, but this is going way back into eternity, way back in the beginning somewhere, we can't, we can't comprehend that. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Why? Because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit... And the Old Testament equivalent would be, as I said, the Hebrew word Elohim or Elohim. But the Bible tells us Father, Son, Holy Spirit are co-equal in the Godhead. And I've been dealing, my wife and I are trying to deal with a couple of situations in the church. And you see, this is a saying of mine, and it's sort of contests a bit, but I got it from Ern Baxter and if that makes it official, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are co-equal as persons, so all of us are redemptively equal, but functionally different. And that's why we say that in any church, local church, uh, God raises up men uh, or women, in case, to be elders, but God puts his mantle on someone elder and it does not exalt him above the other elders, but listen carefully, it sets him in responsibility as first among equals. Now I say on that, and I, I know this is theology, uh, but see, in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are co-equal as persons. But there's no argument in the Godhead. Uh, the Father doesn't say, hey, I'm first. And the Holy Spirit says, well, I don't like being third. We're all equal. There's co-equality, but different function. 
And I think we have to realize that in a local church, we have a group of elders, but uh, my son, poor kid, uh, you know, he is first among equals, equal as persons, redemptively equal, but functionally different. How many understand what I'm saying there? And uh, some people have difficulty with that. But he thought it not robbery to be equal with God because he's part of the Godhead. Okay, how can, how, how can we say any more on that? All right, number three, he's self-emptying. And the sentence that we have here is, uh, he, who being in the form of God... He thought it not robbery to be equal with God because he is equal as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are co-equal in the Godhead. But then it says he emptied himself. He made himself of no reputation. Now, theologically, we refer to this uh, in the, uh, theology as the kenosis theory. And uh, this is dealt with very fully in Foundation Christian Doctrine by K, KJC. So in his self-emptying, uh, he emptied himself, um, trying to think. Uh, yes, uh, uh, some translations have put it this way. He made himself of no reputation or emptied himself. Now, what does the emptying himself really consist of? All right, let me read this. He stripped himself of all the privileges and rightful dignity. He laid aside, please note this word, the independent use and exercises of attributes to become entirely dependent on the Father for the use of them. In becoming man, he did not cease to be God. That's a really important sentence. So when Jesus who's in the throne of God, worshipper of the angels, and uh, also involved in the creation of angels, he emptied himself, he humbled himself, he made himself of no reputation, and what a reputation he had. You know, years ago I used to try and guard my reputation, but who cares? Who cares about it? He made himself of no reputation. And, and you can think of the Gospels where they threw it up to him and said, well, where is your father? We're not born of fornication. In other words, like you are, you've got no father. You're supposed to be virgin born. I mean, think of all the things they threw up at him. He's got a demon. He's got a devil. He's cast out devils. Uh, you know, he had no reputation. And yet we do everything we can to guard our reputation. I, use, I think I used to do it. Not so much now. I say, well, who cares? It's what I am before the Lord and what you and I are before the Lord that really counts. How many can say amen on that? So in becoming man, he did not cease to be God. He is the God-man. All right, so he's self-emptying. He made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself. All right, number four, the next statement theologically we have here, he took upon himself the form of a servant. Now, I, I, as I said, I can't comprehend that. But being in the form of God, worshipped by the angels who he created, along with the Father and so forth, and worshipped, and now he takes upon himself the form of a servant. A bond servant uh, says, uh, turn over to Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter 21. 
And in order to understand uh, this a little bit more fully, uh, Exodus chapter 21, and uh, I put the verses there for you, uh, verses 1 through to 6. We just want uh, uh, a part of it here uh, in application. So uh, Exodus chapter 21, verses 1 through to 6. Now these are the judgments which... uh, you shall set before them, God talking to Moses, if you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and the seventh year he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in uh, married, then his wife shall go out with him, praise God. Uh, if his master have given him a wife, and she had borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters. Oh dear, that's, I don't like that. Uh, and he should go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to the uh, judges. He shall uh, also bring him to the door uh, or to the doorpost, and his, uh, his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Uh, that was the law of the love slave. And that's exactly what we're saying here, that he took upon himself the form of a servant, a love slave. So he loved the father. He wanted to do what the father says, everything like that. So he, he uh, took upon himself the form of a servant. So as I've got on the notes, uh, from uh, the form of God to the form of man, a bond slave. That's the thing. And uh, he became a love slave to his father's will. All right, number five, his humility. And I brought uh, two, two uh, sentences here. He was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man. Uh, I'd like you to look at a couple of scriptures here. Let's turn over to uh, Zechariah chapter 6. That's why I asked you to bring along your Bible because this is the advanced course and you're supposed to bring your Bible along. Okay, Zechariah chapter 6. So he's made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man. So Zechariah chapter 6 and uh, verses 10 to 12. Yeah, I think it's verse 12 mainly I'm after. And speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch. Now, I, I, as I, you know, always on time here, uh, but there's four major prophecies about the man whose name is the branch. It's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, behold the man whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord, even he shall build the temple of the Lord. And uh, this side of the cross, uh, you and I are the temple of God. He shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule upon his throne, and he shall be a priest upon his throne. That is king, priest, order of Melchizedek. And the council of peace shall be between them both, that's both officers, priest and king. That's the picture we have there. So he was made in the likeness of man and being found in fashion as a man. All right, now, as you read the other scriptures there, 
we have the union, I'm reading off my notes here, union in the one person of two natures, the nature of God, the nature of man. Now, uh, just look at me a moment here. In order, see, what was the purpose of the incarnation? What was the purpose of God the Son, who originally being in the form of God, worshipped by angels, now takes upon himself the form of man, the form of a servant. What was the purpose of it? Now, as I said, this is more theological tonight. But you see, in order for Jesus to be a mediator, he had to have the nature of God and had to have the nature of man. But it had to be sinless human nature. So he could not be a mediator, as the uh, Timothy says there, he's the mediator between God and man. He could not be a mediator be- between God and man unless he had the nature of God and the nature of man. But it had to be sinless human nature. So that's why I said he's the, the mediator, the God-man, but sinless human nature. So when it says, uh, let's turn over to Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 3. Are you doing all right out there? Thank you for the underwhelming response. But you've got to think. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, uh, Romans 8 and verse 3. You've got, uh, got the scripture there. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh... God did by sending his own son, notice this, in the likeness of sinful flesh, only likeness. Jesus did not have sinful flesh. If he had sinful flesh, then he would have needed a savior and he could not be our savior. But see, the virgin birth is the foundation of his sinlessness. So because he is virgin born, he's sinless and he took partook of human nature, but no sin. Sin is accepted. That's why he can be the mediator between God and man. He knows the nature of God, the perfect nature, holiness of God, how God looks at sin. And he, yet he knows the fallen nature of man, but not no sin involved. So you've got to make sure you understand that. Uh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He didn't have sinful flesh, only the likeness uh, on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. And you see, the Pharisees, uh, when, when Jesus, uh, or the Pharisees challenged Jesus, he said to them, which of you convinceth me of sin? They're all silenced. Not one person could convince him of sin. In thought, word, or deed. He, 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 thought, word, or deed. He is the only sinless man ever to be upon the face of the earth. And that's why he could be our redeemer. So that's really important is to get hold of this. Took upon himself the form of servant, was made in the likeness of man, and being found in fashion as a man. So the union in the one person of two natures, the nature of God, the nature of man, he's the mediator, the God-man, but a sinless human nature. Everybody said amen on that? Amen. All right, number six is humility. Wow, 
And, you know, as I said, I can't comprehend Paul's so rich language. He says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Now, as I've got on the, uh, the final sheet here, um, in fact, uh, we'll, we'll go to that a little bit now. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. Now, most Bible expositors believe this, but uh, there's always some that don't or don't understand it. So Isaiah chapter 14, and uh, I'll read from uh, New King James here, and verse 12 through to 14. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, which means day star, son of the morning, so I want you to think of this because I'm a fanatic and now I believe the words are inspired. How are you then fallen from heaven, O day star, a fallen star? In Revelation, see a star fallen from heaven. Okay, so how are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, day star, the morning star? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, and uh, if you've had this before and you haven't marked your Bible, I want you to notice the five I wills of Lucifer, or most, uh, most exposers believe it's, uh, it's referring to Satan. So number one, you have said in your heart, number one, I will ascend into heaven. I will, number one. Number two, I will exalt my throne. Now, You know, the contrast here, Jesus was willing to leave the throne of glory to the cross. He humbled himself. But here is a uh, a angelic being, we believe, who exalts. He says, I will exalt my throne above the stars of heaven. He himself is a fallen star, yet he says, I'll exalt my throne above the stars of heaven. Then number three, I will. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther sides of the north. Number four, I will. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And number five, I will be like the Most High. And notice in verse 15, this is a prophecy that's yet fully got to come to pass. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, or to hell, to the lowest parts of or the lowest depths of the pit. And it's not till we get to the book of Revelation where you see Satan cast out of heaven, there's war in heaven. Uh, Michael and his angels fought with the devil and his angels, and then he's cast down to earth. And then when Jesus comes a second time, he's cast into the bottomless pit for a thousand years, and then he's loosed out of the bottomless pit uh, at the end of a thousand years. Then he comes before the great white throne judgment, then he's cast in the lake of fire. So you've got to understand the steps in the casting, the progressive casting out of Satan. So I will, I will now. I will. Five times, I will. Now, what a contrast to Jesus. He humbled himself. Satan exalted himself. He sought to be God. I will be like the most high, uh, high God. And uh, he wanted worship. And 
this is what is amazing. The devil has always wanted worship. So in America, I know we do up in Danny Nong's here, we have uh, uh, satanic churches, devil worship, where they worship the devil and so forth. He's always wanted worship. He gets it from film stars, rock stars, and all sorts of fallen stars. (laughs) That's interesting. Uh, He gets that worship. And even Jesus, he said to Jesus, look, all the kingdoms of this world I'll give you if you'll fall down and worship me. We worship Jesus. So Jesus, who was God, became man. But Satan, Lucifer, who was an angel, he sought to be God and received worship that was only due to God. So that sentence is so powerful. He humbled himself. Such humility. Not the, not the pride of Satan who sought to be God. And when God created man... Man is made a little lower than the angels. And let me say it again for those who may not have been in the class other times. There is no redemption for fallen angels because when angels sinned, they were created spirit beings. And so angels as spirit beings up in heaven somewhere uh, back in eternity, they sinned the blazing white light of God's holiness. But you see, when man sinned, man was made a spirit, soul, and body being. And Eve was deceived, as we saw last week. Adam was not deceived, but he was in the transgression. And so because we are a lower order than angels, there is redemption for us. But there's no redemption for fallen angels. That's why when Jesus became man, it says he took not on himself the nature of angels... But he took upon himself the seed of Abraham. That's the difference. He didn't come to redeem angels. He came to redeem us. That's worth a hallelujah. Everybody said amen. All right, so he humbled himself uh, because we were made a little lower than the angels. Um, Then Proverbs, the scripture says, pride goes before fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. Let me say one other thing here is that When God created the angels, and I've said this before, but I'll say it again. When God created the angels, he he took what I call a calculated risk and created all the angels with a free will. Now, as long as their free wills submitted to the good and perfect and acceptable will of God, there was harmony in heaven. But see, as we'll see later on somewhere, when Satan or Lucifer rose up against I will and I will, I will, I will, I will. He crossed God's will. And this is the significant thing. The cross actually began in heaven. Because up to this time, as I said, all the angels submitted their free wills to the good and perfect acceptable will of God. And there was harmony in heaven. There's harmony in my house. As long as Sharon and Mark submitted their free wills, to my good and imperfect and acceptable will. There was harmony. But you see, once they crossed my will, they got the laying of hands further down. And as Mark said the other Sunday, the rascal. Uh, 
I was a very patient man, probably too patient. And so my wife, Joyce, at the time, she couldn't discipline the kids. So she'd save it up when I got home. And then I'd belt the living daylights out of Mark. And Mark one day said to me, as he got old, he said, Dad, let's make an agreement together. Instead of being so patient with me and saving it up till you half kill me, why don't you discipline me day by day and then don't half kill me? But he survived. I think he does it to his kids a bit. Anyway, <clears throat> don't tell him I said that. Uh, sell him a tape so it's priceless, you know. Uh, yeah, so that was it. So when Satan or Lucifer said, I will, it crossed God's will. So all the angels now are put to the test. Will we follow self-will, Satan's will, or submit our free will to God's will? That's why sin began in heaven, and that's why sin has to be cleansed in heaven. So it's not just this earth and us, but the cleansing of the heaven. We don't see that to Revelation chapter 20. All right, so he humbled himself. And uh, I like, uh, like, like what someone said. Uh, one preacher I got this from me said, uh, Jesus received five wounds on the cross doing the Father's will on the cross of Calvary. And his five wounds was the answer to Satan's five, I will, I will, I will, I will. I think that's a beautiful thought. So Jesus said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And so he submitted his will to the will of the Father and received five wounds on the cross. But when Lucifer crossed God's will five times, he said, I will, I will. So instead of just having the will of God, which we know is good and acceptable and perfect, we have two wills crossing each other. Uh, we come to that. Okay, number seven, and then we'll move on before we take a break. And became obedient. So he humbled himself and became obedient. What sort of obedience was it? Even the death of the cross. And so we have the scriptures there. We'll be dealing a little bit more with this later on. Uh, he, he endured the cross. He didn't enjoy the cross. He endured the cross. He died for our sins. And he became a curse for us, his crucifixion. All right, now let's, for our last few moments before we take a break, let's go to his exaltation. So if you wanted to, uh, oh, the diag diagram's not up there. Uh, if you want to put that, you've got it there. If you want to do, do this at all, my writing is so abominable. You could put the seven steps from the cross to the throne, his deity and his uh, self-emptying, co-equality and self-emptying and so forth. So he comes to the cross. So from the throne to the cross. Can we comprehend that? Not really. All right, his exaltation, uh, next part here. Therefore, and as someone has said, whenever you see a therefore, you want to see what it's there for. All right, his exaltation, I'm back to in, in Thessalonians, yeah, or Philippians again. Uh, so it says uh, in uh, verse 9, Therefore, 
Because of all this, because being in the form of God, his co-equality, his self-emptying, his humbling himself, his incarnation, his humanity, his humility, his crucifixion. Therefore, on that basis, God has also highly exalted him. Now, I'll, I'll have to weave this together in a little moment. It says, uh, number two here, Therefore, his exaltation, God has highly exalted him because he humbled himself to the lowest and to the death of the cross, which was a death for criminals. God has highly exalted him. And what's he done? Uh, you'll have to listen carefully to me here. I'm rushing a bit. Um, God has also highly exalted him and given him now, I want you, old King James says, given him a name, but New King James and NIVC, I checked it out, has given him the name. The name. I want to, want to talk about that in a moment. He's given them the name which is above every name. So that's the exaltation, the Father's name upon the Son. Now, some of the scriptures there, um, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit on my right hand, and Acts chapter 2, God has highly exalted him. Now, uh, I, I know I'm making you think, but I, I don't feel sorry for it, okay? When we look at the tremendous name of the Lord Jesus Christ, do you realize that Jesus received that triune name over different periods of his life? Now, think along with me. For 30 years... Jesus was known as Jesus of Nazareth. Everybody agree with that? Amen. For 30 years, he's Jesus of Nazareth. When he was water baptized and the Holy Spirit came upon him in anointing, he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he, the Father, has anointed me with the Holy Spirit. And from then on, for three and a half years, he was known as Jesus Christ, Jesus Christos, Jesus anointed. But did you know this? Never once, really, is he called the Lord Jesus Christ until the uh, ascension. Uh, are you thinking with me? Go back to Acts chapter 2. Uh, yeah, Acts chapter 2. And you see, if we, if we understand some of these things, it makes water baptism more meaningful to us. So let's go to um, uh, Acts chapter 2 and uh, uh, verse uh, 34 will do. Acts 2 verse 30, 34, day of Pentecost. For David is not ascended unto, uh, into the heavens, uh, but he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand. So the Lord, the Father... And now the Lord, the Son, we'll come to that in a moment, sit thou on my right hand, and until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know, assured, know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Hallelujah. hallelujah. It is worth hallelujah. Okay, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, thoroughly stabbed, Amplified says, and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said, 
repent unto them, repent, and be baptized. And, and here's uh, some of our translations miss it here. Repent and be baptized, every, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it should be. And some of the new translations bring it out. Okay, now, uh, yeah, I'll freeze that a moment. Okay, um, when Jesus ascended on high and he was exalted, the exalted exaltation was in the giving of the Father's name to the Son. Now, how many know Mark Connor? How many know Kevin Connor? <laughs> About six of you. Okay, now you see, when I gave him the name Connor... He become partaker of the Father's name. Oh, he has his own name, Mark, Andrew. But when he got Connor, that is the Father's name upon the Son. And you see, here is the, the exalted God-man. He was in the form of God. Now he took upon himself the form of man. But now he's highly exalted because... He went from the throne to the cross and now he's going back from the cross to the throne. That's the picture. So when the Father said, Lord, sit on my right hand, that was the Father's name upon the Son. That was the exaltation. So when we baptize, what do we say? We baptize you into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when you study that try your name, and I, I know a lot of us haven't done it, when you study that try your name, you'll find it's actually, actually the name of the Godhead. Father, Lord, Son, Jesus, Christos, Chrisma, Holy Spirit, oil. It's the Greek word for oil. So the Godhead name the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is the Lord Jesus Christ. So for 30 years he's known as Jesus. Then he became Jesus Christ. But when he ascended to heaven, Paul, Peter says, and Paul says, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. All right, let, uh, we haven't finished yet. Okay. Everybody got that? Uh, so the try your name now on the Son, Jesus, then Christ, now Lord, his enthronement, that, uh, at the name of Jesus, I'll, I'll come to that in a moment. Uh, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. If you go back to Genesis chapter, chapter 41, you'll find when Joseph, having been through a period of uh, rejection, and then exaltation, acceptance, and so, so forth. You know what Pharaoh did? Pharaoh said, Joseph, I want you to be in the second chariot next to me. And as he went through Egypt, the claim went out, bow the knee, bow the knee, bow the knee. Everybody had to bow their knee, and he gave them a new name, which is Saviour of the world. Go back to the book of Genesis, check up your margin. So now it's the same thing. Jesus has humbled himself to the death of the cross and he's now highly exalted and God is saying, bow the knee, bow the knee. Very briefly here. 
His, his acknowledgement of things in heaven. That's the heavenly realm, the realm of angels. His acknowledgement of things in the earth, the earthly realm, realm of mankind. And he's not, uh, his acknowledgement again of things under the earth, the spirit world, realm of the underworld. Now the ultimate confession is, uh, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The universal realm. Now, how many, and please put your hand up. I mean, I like a sense of fulfillment if I catch you. How many believe that everybody's going to bow at the name of Jesus? You're wrong. Thank you for letting me catch you. I really feel fulfilled. Uh, no, it just, we, we surface read the word. Let's read it properly. And I'll go back to the, back, back to the Bible. All right, verse, uh, verse uh, 9. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, wait a bit, every knee should bow, those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. Do you get it? It's the Lordship of Jesus. Not that every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. No, every knee will bow at the name of Jesus Christ and confess. What's the tongue going to confess? That Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? Why Lord? To the glory of God the Father because that is the Father's name upon his exalted Son. Did you get it? So they're not just going to bow the name of Jesus or Jesus Christ. They're going to, every tongue is going to confess his lordship. That Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. Because the Father said to his son, The Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand until I make your foes your footstool. That is the greatest name ever to be revealed. Ephesians, I've given you the scriptures somewhere. Ever to be revealed in this world or in the world to come. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you get it? You're looking at me like a cow looking at a new gate. Go and, get, go and have a break for 10 minutes. <laughs> Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.